0: Today on CityCast Philly, we're covering some of the week's top stories. It's a Friday News Roundup, and I'm joined by Philly Voice Senior Staff Writer Kristen Hunt. And joining the conversation is Philadelphia Magazine Editor-at-Large and President of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists, Ernest Owens. It's Friday, December 9th, 2022. I'm Trine Noree, and this is CityCast Philly. Kristen, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Ernest, I'm so glad that you're here joining us too.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. This is exciting.
0: All right, y'all, before we get started with all of the news of the week, I want to know, if you're new to Philly, what's your favorite place to eat? You know, it's the weekend and we're about to relax a little bit. We need some good food wrecks.
2: Kristen, what's your favorite spot? I mean... I thought Amelia went to brunch, and so I live in uh, Northern Liberty, so I love Honey Sydney. It's just a great, reliable local place to get all kinds of breakfast food, it's reasonably priced. You can't go wrong. <laughs> What's your favorite like item on the menu? Oh, gosh. I have a lot of fun like coffee drinks, um, and I think they rotate them out. Um, I don't know. I think the last time I was there, I just kind of got some waffles, and yeah. But highly recommend. It.
1: <laughs> Waffles are always good. Ernest, what is your recommendation for food? Well, I live in West Philadelphia, University City area, and there's a great Black-owned restaurant called Booker's, which is really good. Yeah. Just cozy, comfortable. They have a really beautiful um foodery streetery i guess outdoor eating and indoor eating and they have a really extensive menu that includes fried chicken fried shrimp but they also have like short rib and really elevated food and it's just something for everybody there i think if you're if you're someone who's a picky eater or someone who just wants something very standard affordable and dietarily flexible they're the best. And you're supporting a Black-owned business that's owned by a woman. So it's, it doesn't get any better than that.
0: That's right. All right, y'all. Here we go. <laughs> what news story really caught your eye this week? We'll start with you, Ernest.
1: Well, this story I just recently wrote about Wallow267, who is this major Black social media influencer. He has nearly 2 million followers. He's a local, you know, known entity, um, local celebrity woman, would say. And he basically had this interesting viral stunt, as I would describe it, where he offered to give 15 women a shopping spree outside of Target on the day of Thanksgiving. And what ends up happening is that a bunch of the women that wanted this contest show up to this Target on Thanksgiving morning around 9 a.m., And the store is not open because Target is not open on Thanksgiving. Right.
0: And it was the Target off of Spring Garden.
1: Correct. Which is very popular, Mm -hmm. a very popular Target. And so, you know, pandemonium ensues, right? There's tons of videos of all of these Black women, uh, mostly Black women, that were there, you know, waiting. And then he shows up a little bit and he recognizes the door is locked and then... Rather than just kind of stop there, he pursues it again the next day. This time it's Black Friday. And, of course, Target is open and there's more crowds and he's still doing this on camera. And, you know, and there were
0: other celebrities or other like social media influencers that joined him on Friday, right?
1: On Friday, yeah. Gilly the Kid, which is a close friend of his and a couple of other people, who I guess have big, large social media following showed up with cash and was giving out tons of money and buying groceries and police had to come out because it was so much crowding on this on this private property that they couldn't control some of it and the workers and people had to deal with all of the tension. You know, for me as someone who grew up working class, who who came from a very humble background, these types of social media stunts is not uncommon, but concerning right? Because often they're in black communities, they involve people of color, and it often is people who are in vulnerable situations like, you know, single mothers who need the shopping spree or need support, right? And through a media lens, we see this happen a lot during the holidays and I call it poverty porn, which is a actual term that's coined where people will exploit socioeconomic hardship for public attention, whether we call it activism, advocacy, or whatever, but it's this extortion of that type of struggle for the pursuit of attention. And in this situation, I don't question Wallow's intentions altogether. I do think that deep down, someone who wants to do something like that probably means well. But in in certain situations, impact Trump's intention. The impact of the workers, the impact of those families, the fact that there was camera footage in this way that kind of makes a spectacle of this, I think perpetuates a lot of stereotypes about people who are from working class backgrounds or socioeconomic hardship and also Black communities. And Well,
0: how can, how can social media influencers or folks who want to give back in a charitable way do so um, that might be less, I guess, some may say chaotic or linked to poverty porn? How, how can they do it better?
1: I think one way that people can do it better is that, one, be directly intentional about your service providing, right? You have nearly 2 million followers. You asked for 15 people to show up. You didn't randomly select those 15 people individually. You just kind of put it out there. What did you expect was going to happen, right? (laughs) You know? Like, I think all other ways is that with all the money they gave out in cash, would have been different to create a mutual aid fund. So a lot of activists and social groups do what is called mutual aid support, where they will have a bunch of money and they will do a private, you know, say, "Hey, if your person needs, fill out this form," and they will direct the services directly to those individuals without the spectacle, without the cameras, without the, you know, some people say shaming of folks in those circumstances, right? I also say that it stops the savior complex and also the Frank Lucas complex. So if you ever seen the movie American Gangster with the Washington, he was Frank Lucas. And, you know, back in the day, they used to give out the turkeys and the camera. Politicians love doing that for their own personal PR. If you're intentional about those services, what would it look like to coordinate direct services and direct giving that does not require the spectacle of the cameras and everything else? There are a lot of great food pantries and local organizations in our communities that do this work with sensitivity and care that does not require cameras and footage and all of the spectacle that we see. Collaborate with them, work with them, put those resources in groups that know how to do this work much better. We can't all be everything for everybody, but we can all give back. It's about how do we help people? How do we show up for people? How do we respect those from socioeconomic backgrounds? How do we give poor people the dignity and respect that they deserve, like Mm -hmm, all of us? mm
0: -hmm. Kristen, you wrote a piece about the Berks County Residential Center closing. What can you tell us about that?
2: So yeah, the Berks County Detention Center is technically called the Berks County uh, Residential Center. Uh, This has been a really long, multi-part story, but last week ICE ended its contract with the center, um, the federal government did. And so right now it is a women-only detention center and it has about 40 women um, still there. And when it closes at the beginning of next year, when the contract runs out, those women are expected to be either released or transferred. This center has gotten a lot of attention from protesters, you know, local immigration activists,
0: as well as politicians. And this has been going on for years, right?
2: Yeah. Um, it's opened in 2001. And when it originally started for a long time, it was a family detention center. And during that time, it was a family detention center. Um, It received a lot of scrutiny from local politicians and also immigration activists because the conditions there were reportedly pretty bad. In a lot of cases, it was found that families, uh, including children, were kept there for much longer than they are legally allowed to. Um, Federal law says children can only be kept for 20 days, and they were going well past that, around six months, I think, in some cases. There was also a case in which a 19-year-old detainee was sexually assaulted by someone working at the center, um, and that led to a settlement with Berks County. So there had been a lot of people pushing for the closure of this center. And it did close in early 2001. The families there were released, but almost immediately after it was clear that there were just retooling, restructuring plans for the center, the contract with ICE was not done. And sure enough, in February of this year, it reopened as a women-only center. And so since then, you know, renewed calls to end it. A lot of local groups that have been protesting this even went to the White House um, trying to get President Biden to end this contract. And so last week it was announced that uh, the federal government had told Berks County that they were going to end the contract, which will expire in January of next year. Well, Chris, I'm just thinking,
0: With all the controversy around this, could another center open up? Could the federal government get a new contract with another center?
2: Could we see this happen again? I mean, it's always a possibility. I would be surprised if that was the immediate next plan, just given all of what's happened and the fact that they are actually letting the contract expire. Some of the past plans that were floated, I believe in 2019, were that it could be repurposed as a center for the Department of Agriculture. I believe there was also discussion that it could be a mental health facility, either for um, teens struggling with substance abuse or maybe um, mentally disturbed individuals who have been convicted of crimes, kind of as like a in-between point for, um, you know, mental hospitals. And it's unclear if those are the next steps right now, because again, those were floated a little while ago now. But I think there's a couple different ideas that various politicians wanna discuss further. And I I think most people are hopeful it will not be another detention center.
0: All right, let's shift gears and talk about some news stories that we feel were kind of overlooked this week. Ernest, you say your story is about Dems controlling the State House.
1: Yes, so there's a lot of things behind the scenes that people don't know. So that 102 majority that gives them the majority of the house is in contention right now because three of those seats are now vacant. Two of them involves two people have now moved up. So Summer Lee was a state rep who's now going to be a congressperson and become the first black woman to be elected to US Congress from Pennsylvania. Right. Big deal. Austin Davis, who was the state rep, now is gonna be the next lieutenant governor. governor first right. black person to be the lieutenant governor. And then the other person who had the seat died before the election day, and they were still on the ballot. They died too close to election date that they couldn't even be taken off the ballot. And so those three seats, they won those elections, but two of them had to resign to get their new positions. So technically, right now, the House has 99 alive Democrats, but 102 seats that they've won. And so there's a dispute about um, State Representative Joanna McClinson. She got elected on Wednesday as the majority leader, which is Speaker of the House. First woman to ever hold that position in over 240 years in the Pennsylvania House. Problem is, in order to be the majority leader, Speaker of the House, you have to have a majority. majority right. right now, <laughs> the Republicans currently have the majority of the living people, but the Democrats have the majority of the elected people. And so right now, there's a dispute about filling those vacancies. Joanna McClinton wants to have a special election to replace those three seats. And what we know is that those three seats are in majority Democratic districts, so they'll probably win it. But the Republicans are putting up a fight in the men, in the meanwhile. So, they're calling it documented insurrection because technically they don't have a living majority. So it's interesting. So interesting. And people are not talking about this enough, and I think more people should know about this.
0: <laughs> thank you, thank you. And speaking of state politics, there is a conversation around cat
2: decline. Kristen, what's going on here? Yeah, no. So last week, uh, Harrisburg City Council adopted a ban on declawing, and that makes it the second city in Pennsylvania to do so, because Pittsburgh did that last year. And there's actually been a, a diving committee, but there is a bill at the General Assembly that was introduced in 2021 that would also ban declawing statewide. And I guess uh, one thing that's interesting is that Philadelphia. There was recently a report, like according to census data, has like the highest percentage of cat ownership among the top fifteen metro areas in the U.S. But this is cat
0: loving city. Okay. yeah, right. It's (laughs) kind of
2: surprising. Uh, But this has apparently never been discussed at Philadelphia City Council, and so it's kind of a question of, are they going to? Is is the state going to ban it before? Are there going to be more cities? There seems to be this, like, sort of movement that's gaining steam to uh, ban the practice.
0: And there's some controversy behind cat declawing. Um, some say that it kind of messes up cats. and.
2: Yeah, no, it's very controversial. Basically, um, the way a lot of veterinarians describe it is you are actually removing, like, the last bone in a cat's uh, paw and so it's it's kind of like an amputation. I know that's a very dramatic way to say it, but like that is sort of like the way it's often described. And because their like sort of quote unquote first line of defense is removed, in that uh, scenario, a lot of cats after the procedure can start biting, or you know they develop an aversion to their litter box because it feels differently um, with their paws. And so it can lead to a lot of behavioral problems, along with, you know, sort of the concerns for any sort of pain it puts the cat through.
1: Oh, wow. Very interesting. Wow. This is why dogs are man's
0: best friend. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Let's end with some good news.
1: Ernest, what's your good news story? Well, next to Brittany Griner being free. Yes, um, I just saw that on Twitter. That's really great news. And locally in Philadelphia, the Linfest Institute just gave out $1.5 million to local uh, media groups and community partners to help cover the mayor's race and increase visibility on that. And uh, PABJ was one of those recipients of a grant. We're gonna be hosting a huge mayoral candidates forum in April at the Museum of the Revolution. So we're super excited about that. And, you know, this is the biggest amount of money that's been just given to local media groups to cover a local political race, which is exciting because a lot of times people talk about voter turnout and engagement on the race. And media groups like ours and organizations, they deserve that funding to be able to cover these important issues. So to see an institution put their money where their mouth is to do it is a pretty is a pretty big deal and some really good news.
0: And if anybody wants to learn more about this, it's called the Every Voice, Every Vote Project. All right, so let's also talk about... What's going on with this real ID
2: requirement, (laughs) Kristen? The good news there is that you have more time. Uh, People were starting to get nervous that the deadline until recently was going to be in May of 2023. That, of course, has already been extended multiple times now at this point, but it just got extended again. Um, People will have until May 7th, 2025 now. And so that's a lot more time to get your real ID, which a lot of Pennsylvanians haven't. I believe the current number is... 1.9 million and we're a state of almost 13 million, so that's not a ton of people. Um, The guidelines have not changed at all, you just have more time to get it.
0: And can you just remind folks, why do they even need a real ID? Um,
2: So I mean, it is technically optional, it always has been, but basically, once the enforcement deadline, that, that new 2025 date, comes down, it's gonna be a lot harder to travel because previously when you were boarding any sort of domestic flight, you could just show your standard driver's license, but once this deadline hits, you won't. Um, you will need either a real ID or a US passport, and that's also gonna be the case for entering a military base or any sort of federal facility where they check ID at the door like a courthouse. It's It all stems from this uh, Real ID Act that goes all the way back to 2005, but basically the idea is to have enhanced uh, security with identification. Good to know.
0: Philly Voice senior staff writer Kristen Hunt and Philadelphia Magazine editor-at-large and president of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists, Ernest Owens. Thank you both for joining me this week on CityCast Philly. Thanks so much. Thank you that's all for this week on city cast philly our lead producer is xandra mcmahon our producer is abby fritz our newsletter editor is Brittany valentine and our host is me trenee Nuri. music is by philly's own interminable if you enjoy this week of shows please tell your family and friends rate the show leave us a review and subscribe to our morning newsletter. It's called Hey Philly. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Have a great weekend and be safe, bye.